Welcome! You're listening to Uncommon Sense, and I'm Doug Morgan. One of the funniest memes that I have seen in a very long time uh, came out the other day, I saw the other day, that where there was a professor, uh, what looked like a professor in his study or a library, uh, he was talking to uh, like a protege or whatever, some, somebody younger, and he said this, he was saying, don't, uh, those that don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And then he followed up by saying, those that know history are doomed to watch others repeat it. And isn't that so true? Um, you know, we that know a little bit about history uh, can see, it just seems like we can see the train coming down the tracks and there are people on the tracks that just don't understand what we see and don't understand that there is a train coming their way. Um one of the, the frustrations that I see in a lot of politically uh, conservative individuals and, and, and Christians, that there, there's, this, there's this mounting frustration that, that many of the, of the uh, framework that we've seen uh, that, that, that the uh, country is, has been based on is, is deteriorating, um, that there, there are certain things that we can see people going down, down paths that, uh, that are not, and, and taking us down paths, leaders that are taking us down paths even, that we know don't lead to very good things. I mean, let me give you an example. Uh, you know, like our national debt, for instance. We know that with the skyrocketing national debt, there's going to be repercussions from that. And we know that it that we are going to experience probably some of that, but we also know that our kids and our grandkids are going to experience repercussions of this national debt and this high national debt. I mean, you know, the decisions that we make and our leaders make today are going to affect them in negative ways with things like this. And so this mounting frustration, that's just one example of many. There's, there's a mounting frustration that that these these people that are in leadership positions in particular that are, uh, that are making decisions that we know are going to have really long-term repercussions. And, and when we see uh, you know, area after area after area and leader after leader uh, doing, making these, these kind of decisions, it, it, the frustration just mounts. And so when I saw this article uh, in the Daily Wire by Ricky Schlott, uh, and it was entitled the, the Founding Fathers, Six Prophetic Warnings That Are Coming True. And I saw this and I was like, man, this just really hit home. Thought I, I would share this with you um, because it just, if, if this, this to me just really signifies what the frustration is about in many of us. And so let, let, me, let me get it right into it and, and see if you agree with me. In the framing of the Constitution, our founding fathers radically entrusted we, the people, with our own governance. In doing so, they also accepted the vulnerability to mankind's shortcomings, recognizing the American experiment was fraught with peril, that greed and corruption were inevitable uh, features of the human condition. From Washington to Jefferson, the founders gave the American people a framework for success with the Constitution, while also leaving behind prophetic warnings of how the great American experiment could go awry. Here are six chilling predictions, in their own words, that 
are now coming to fruition. And, and what he's saying is that when our founding fathers put together the country, they they knew there's a there was a number of different ways they could go. I mean, they could have gone with a monarchy, they could have gone with a king, and they want there was a faction of people that wanted uh, George Washington to be the king of America. They wanted that kind of system. Uh, many were uh, very familiar with it, and and so that's that was their natural uh, natural uh, thing that they wanted to go with. Obviously, our founding fathers didn't go that direction. They went with something much more experimental, and and uh, and and they they thought that this was really the direction that that God would want uh, us to go in many cases, and and they they set up a, a, a system where there were there's there's definitely some vulnerabilities i mean human nature with any system human nature uh, there's there's going to be things that that uh, uh people can do uh, even like let's say a monarchy for instance i mean you can have a bad king in there and it's going to be just a, a terrible thing so anyway uh the some of the things even though they set our system up this way and obviously it's worked out to to this point very well um, but they, but they had some warnings, and they, and they, they could see some vulnerabilities. And so let's get into those. Number one, Benjamin Franklin worried that a salaried bureaucracy could breed career politicians. In 1787, Franklin stood before the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, warning against a gener, uh, generously salaried Congress. "Quote, sir, there are two passions which have a powerful influence on the affairs of men." These are ambition and avarice, the love of power and the love of money. Place before the eyes of such men a post of honor that shall, at the same time, be a place of profit, and they will move heaven and earth to obtain it. Franklin's concerns were clearly not heeded. While the first members of Congress were paid $6 per day, <laughs> the members today receive a base salary of $174,000, placing them above 90% of American earners. This does not include additional um, annual allowances that can run in the millions. Franklin also uh, warned about the uh, quality of leaders a, a hefty paycheck would, would attract. A quote, he said, it will not be the wise or and moderate the lovers of peace and good order the men fittest for trust it will be the bold and the violent the men of strong passions and uh uh deflappable (laughs) activity in their selfish pursuits these will trust themselves into a these will thrust themselves into a government and be your rulers. Wow. Uh, indeed, political office has de- devolved from a civil service to a lucrative path, breeding the dreaded career politician. Therefore, there is perhaps no better example than Joe Biden, who was once the sixth youngest senator at 30 years old and is now the nation's oldest president at 78. It hasn't been rough for the civil servant. Forbes reported that the Biden family earned $16.7 million just since leaving the Obama White House. So, yes, we have career politicians. There is no doubt about it. And unfortunately, 
you know, I, I know that our founding fathers would have loved to see people who would have maybe given up their job or put their job on hold for, you know, a two-year stint or a four-year stint or a six-year stint, and then they were done. And then, and then you know, they, they would go to Washington, D.C., they would do their thing, they would serve the people, they would literally sacrifice in some ways in order to do that, and then they would, they would, they would go back to their normal life and their normal jobs. That's the way that they envisioned it. But unfortunately, that's not the, what we have today. We have people who uh, are definitely career politicians, and they are uh, in, in, into uh, policy and, and, and whatnot uh, for, for self-interest in many uh, aspects. And so, um, again, that's, that's, a, that's a whole podcast in itself, but unfortunately, that's definitely number one on the list here. All right. Thomas Jefferson dreaded the po- uh, politicization of the Supreme Court in an 1821 letter to Nathaniel McCon, uh, Jefferson expressed concerns about the politicization of judicial power. Quote, Our government is now taking so steady a course as to show by what road it will pass to destruction, to wit, by consolidation first and then corruption. The engine of consolidation will be the federal judiciary, the two other branches, the corrupting and the corrupted instruments. And that's what he had to say there. Records of congressional confirmation votes over the uh, court's history reveal an abrupt politicization of the Supreme Court since Jefferson's warning. This is a um, relatively recent phenomenon, though. In just the 1980s, the appointees were frequently confirmed unanimously. Um, and we see that in, including three of Ronald Reagan's nominees were, were uh, confirmed unanimously. Uh, confirmations have since devolved, though, into partisan sideshows, reflecting an abandonment of uh, appointment based on legal merit in the favor of political loyalty. The latest iteration was the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett in October of 2020. Not a single Democrat voted for her. And rhetoric became so severe that she was even dubbed, quote, a danger to the future of civilization, unquote. Our founding fathers envisioned a Supreme Court that would safeguard the Constitution regardless of political affiliation. With only 17% of Americans reporting a great deal of trust in the Supreme Court in 2020, it is apparent that the institution is failing the people it was designed to protect. And, and you know, that the reason that we don't elect Supreme Court justices is because the, the, the Founding Fathers wanted to, to take as much political uh, type of things out of the, the judiciary. They wanted, to, um, they, they wanted to keep it as far away from t- politics as it could, uh, as they could. And of course, I mean, obviously, uh, it, it's devolving into that, into just simply a political game. But, um, but that was definitely Thomas Jefferson's uh, concern, is that this type of thing would happen. That instead of trying to put the best person on the Supreme Court in that position, then we put the, the person that, that we think is going to get what we want done. And, and, that, uh, and so, um, you know, the, the, the way that it's set up is that 
Uh, obviously, the executive branch or the the president uh, is is the one that nominates uh, a person for a open seat on the court, and then the Senate confirms. You know, the, the uh, Congress then confirms that person. So all three branches are are represented there. Um, but still, it, it has devolved into a political process. All right. James Madison warned that an unarmed people and biased press would breed tyranny. In his 1830 autobiography, Madison outlined the uh, preconditions necessary for tyrannical rule. Quote, Oppressors can tyrannize only when they achieve a standing army and enslaved press and disarmed populace. Madison's warning has indeed come to pass in 2020 from the blatant threats to the Second Amendment posted by the Biden administration to the extreme partisanship demonstrated by the legacy media. Rates of positive coverage between recent presidents have fluctuated dramatically from 5% positive for Trump through 42% positive for Obama. Indeed, the press divides politicians between those who can do no right and those who can do no wrong. With the headlines like, First Lady Jill Biden wore a scrunchie while shopping and people felt so seen. Uh, To... The, the pattern only seems to, to continue. Uh, no wonder a, a record one in three Americans report no trust at all in the media. And, you know, it's, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. And, and uh, you know, the, the media has shown itself in so many ways in recent years uh, to be just so, so partisan, really almost a part of, of, a, of, of, of a liberal uh, party, uh, just another arm of the Democratic Party. And, uh, and, and so that's why, you know, things like this podcast and, and, and others are so needed to, uh, in order to have, um, you know, the other side show side of things shown, um, something that James Madison really was warning about that I think we have seen come to pass. All right. Next one. George Washington predicted that political factions could tear the nation apart in his farewell address on September 17th, 1796, George Washington left the presidency with a grim warning about a party-based political system. Quote, However, political factions may now and then answer popular ends. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to upsurp usurp themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. Indeed, American political leadership has been fractured along party lines with the chasm between Democrats and Republicans. Um, Just as Washington predicted, uh, politicians are operating for the betterment of their party and thus have lost sight of their common goal to serve the American people. This has never been more true than in this COVID-19 era. Consistently, party leaders have insisted on cramming uh, contentious contingencies uh, into relief bills that run hundreds of pages long. In the process, 
they have deliberately held up much needed support for citizens to fulfill partisan agendas. As a result, rhetoric has devolved into us versus them, even good versus evil. Most of us think the worst of the other side. According to a 2020 poll, 78% of Democrats believe the Republican Party has been taken over by racists, <laughs> while 81% of Americans believe the Democratic Party has been taken over by socialists. But political parties don't just make us hate politicians. They make us think the worst in one another. In 2017, uh, in a poll uh, that was revealed that, that Democrats believe 50% of Republicans support white nationalism. The consequences of this party, war, this party warfare may be systematic. Uh, in an October poll that nearly two-thirds uh, two of Americans think the nation is on the verge of another civil war. And I would say uh, that that might even be, uh, e even be more uh, so now. All right, Benjamin Franklin warned against uh, prioritizing safety over liberty. Here's, here's uh, just a, a dead spot on one here. In a reply to the, uh, the governor at a 1755 Pennsylvania uh, assembly, Franklin criticized readiness to relinquish liberty. Quote, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. You may have even heard that one. Uh, there is perhaps no better example of liberty being relinquished for the sake of safety than during the pandemic. Um, despite an evolving body of data and an extremely low fatality rate among those not at risk, the nation is nearly a year of shutdowns with no end in sight. Endless freedoms and civil liberties have been tossed aside for the sake of safety. From, you know, finding small establishments like uh, the Atlas Gym in, in New Jersey for the crime of conducting business to restrictions in California strongly discouraging the use of, of wind instruments at Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> the, uh, the situation became so dire that the Supreme Court even had to defend the Constitution right to freely practice religion, which again, just in, if, if you know, uh, last week they came down with even another uh, one that uh, that upheld uh, a lot of the religious freedoms, though still even uh, restricting some. So uh, I move on here. Uh, Fear mongering and a rising culture of safetyism have led to compliance among a terrified populace. But this willingness to relinquish liberties may be um, predicted on, misinf uh, on misinformation, predicated on misinformation. A, a poll from June found the average American estimates deaths from COVID-19 at 225 times the actual reported deaths. That's what most people believe. Authorities have maximized uh, hysteria to usurp uh, unprecedented power under the guise of safety. And it's not just liberties we run the risk of losing by uh, obeying increasingly unsubstantiated and draconian lockdown orders. In the process, we are destroying the health of our economy and even inadvertently harming our children. And I, I truly believe that. When we start to give up li uh, liberties and freedoms for the sake of safety, we get neither. 
It is, it is just one of those things that, it, that we see time after time after time in history that, that is, it, it, it's undeniable. We cannot gain safety by giving up freedoms. And that's what we've seen a lot of during this, this COVID-19 era. Uh, and, and we need to claim back as much as we can. Our founding forefathers knew that the, that the hardest thing for people to give up was power. And that's what we've seen uh, so many do is is give give up freedoms and give uh, for and, and and power give power to these leaders that are just drunk on it at this point. All right. Lastly, John Adams feared future generations would take liberty for granted. In a 1777 letter to his wife Abigail, Adams lamented that the sacrifices made by Americans founding generations uh, founding generation would be forgot by their um, uh, by, by, by future generations. Prosperity, uh, you will never know how much it cost by generation, my generation, to preserve our freedoms, he would say. He said, I hope you will make good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I even took half the pains it, uh, to preserve it. Um, you know, today the, the segment is, is um, the sentiment is, is, is heartbreaking. We, we live in the freest country in history. And in June of, of 2020, there was a poll uh, and it found a record low um, uh, por- uh, portion of, of citizens that are proud to be Americans. Uh, perhaps most Americans have never known a life without the liberty, liberties that, that Adams and, and the revolutionary generation fought for. Uh, we failed to fully appreciate them. Um, and the article here uh, concludes with only 18% of uh, eight grade students are proficient in American history. And just 7% of Americans can name their first four presidents, including Adams, of course. Uh, so that's the heartbreaking response to Adams' call uh, to uh, posterity. Uh, that, that um, you know, t- 244 years later, um, we, we would be in the place that we are. Uh, we haven't forgotten the sacrifices he made to secure our liberty. Uh, we, we didn't even know them in the first place, is, is their contention. So now I, I would say that, that this, is, this article was, was just so spot on. Uh, I, I, I talked to a veteran not too long ago, and the veteran um, <clears throat> was, was a veteran of a foreign war, and uh, and he he was lamenting really over what he sees in our country today and the direction that it's headed. Um, you know, he said that that he really felt like he did what he, he needed to do when he went over and fought. Uh, but it, he said, and and again, this is this is heartbreaking. He said if he had to do it again, knowing what he knows now in the direction of the country, he would definitely not have done what he did. And um, and, and it just, it just broke my heart to hear that because there are so many that have given so much for this system of government that we have, for the freedoms that we have. These are God given freedoms. And this is why the founding fathers set things up the way that they did. They set it up because they knew that God has given us a certain set of undeniable rights these are things that, 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 that aren't given by government. Our rights are not given by the government. Because, as you've probably heard, if, 
if you have a right that's given by the government, then a government then can take away that right. And what our founding fathers said is these rights are not something a government can take away. That's why they put them in the Constitution. You have the right to life. You have a God-given right to liberty. You have a God-given right that, that, that can't be taken away by any government. These are God-given things to everyone, no matter what government they're under. And yes, governments can try to take those away, but these are God-given things that everybody should have. And so our government here in the United States was set up to preserve those God-given rights and allow us the freedom to operate within them. And so when we see, again, as I started out this podcast with, we see the frustration that comes when you see so many leaders that impose on these these, these freedoms and they, they, they impose restrictions and they take away our ability to use those freedoms and and it and it's it, it the frustration just mounts and mounts and mounts the more that we see those things happen. So, I uh, love to hear what your thoughts are on that. Um, it, it's definitely something that that I I have um, that I have I've looked at for a, a long time. Is is what were the founding fathers, um, you know, ideas and and what were their concerns in setting up our government, uh, why did they set things up the way they did? Uh, it's, it's definitely been an interest of mine. And this article just really hit on the, on the head, I think, a number of things that we can see and we can a- apply to today and what we see uh, today. So love to hear from you. Uh, email, of course, is always a great way to get a hold of us here at Uncommon Sense. And that email is foruncommonsense at gmail.com. That's for, F-O-R, uncommonsense at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening.